0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Break it down, Dada. Break Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh. Alright Downers, welcome back to the show. I am glad to be here. I'm a little bit out of the fog of having a baby and I'm kind of back to a normal schedule. I'm feeling great. And let me tell you something else. This podcast is doing amazing. Some, it's, it's the weirdest thing but the audience is growing. I look at the numbers all the time. Every week, bigger than the last week, especially lately. The Brandon Ebel episode from uh, two weeks ago one of the biggest ones I've ever had. Last week, we had Phil from Story of the Year, and that one was tremendous. And I don't think today's going to be any different. So I just want to really thank everybody for enjoying, liking, sharing this show, checking out my website, the YouTube. It's amazing. BreakItDownPod.com is my website. Uh, And today's going to be a great one because we're going to talk about something that is One of the most popular things, I think, in America or the world, and that's the NFL. And I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to be friends with and know not only somebody in the NFL, but a Super Bowl winning NFL player. And when you talk about Super Bowl winning, I'm talking about last year. This guy right here, Tyler Palumbus, a friend of mine. Won the Super Bowl last year, and that in itself makes me just feel wonderful. And I can't imagine how good that feels to you, Tyler. So welcome to the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate the intro. That's always good to have that on my resume. Now, when uh, whenever I'm intro to uh, w- whether I'm speaking or, or on the radio or doing TV, it's always intro with Super Bowl Fifty Champion Tyler Columbus. So uh, and- that feels pretty good. It's kind of like becoming a doctor, you know, Doctor Champ.
0: I mean, it's the best thing you can say. I guess the only thing that would be better would be Super Bowl MVP or League MVP is the only thing that probably trumps Super Bowl winning or having a ring. But if I'm looking at you right now, and since we're on video, let's do this, it looks like you've got a lot of stuff behind you that is your accomplishments and stuff like that. Show show people, pan around there. What is all that stuff? uh,
1: You know, I joke, this is my office. I'm sitting in here, and a lot of those are, uh, well, all those are game balls of some uh, sort of fashion that were given to you after a a big game. Uh, Most of them were given uh, to the entire team after a huge Mm -hmm. victory. Uh, One or two of those was given to me personally. And a matter of fact, I should have worn my ring. I could have shown it to everybody. You don't wear Uh, it every day. Yeah, no, no. no. It turns out that that thing, uh, it it weighs about 20 pounds and there's zero occasions on planet Earth to ever be wearing it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it comes out when uh, when I'm doing some sort of charity or when I'm doing media. Those are the only two times I ever wear that thing.
0: That's insane. Uh, How much is it worth, you know? How much it costs?
1: Uh, Yeah, I... Honestly, I, I'm not dodging it. I, I can't remember the exact value, but it's. Uh, I think it's around forty thousand dollars. It's oh, a lot of money. I
0: wouldn't wear it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Well, I got it insured, so so there's that.
0: Oh, that's really good. That's really good. So you're an offensive tackle. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start with just a really really serious and and difficult question. That uh, and, you know, I apologize for the hard hittingness of this question. If you're on the offensive line, why are you called a tackle? Because you don't tackle anybody. The defense (laughs) tackles people, and they're called guards and stuff like that. How is somebody on the offensive line called a tackle when it's a penalty if you were to tackle anybody?
1: Well, I, I guess I, I wish I had some very intuitive answer to that. I, I don't know. I'm an offensive tackle. That's what they called me. But so it's not that, legal like, for
0: you to tackle anybody. That would be holding, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> there's zero relevance in the name tackle. <laughs> uh, offensive guard, I could kind of see that. That Yeah, you know, that makes more sense. You're protecting the quarterback. You're guard, uh, center, that makes sense. Offensive tackle, yeah, I don't know
0: about that one, man. That's just uh, since the beginning of time, that's what it was. <laughs> well, there's probably... Probably a lot of stuff, uh, I mean, you know, if I want to get serious, there is a lot of stuff in football that is controversial. I'll ask you some more about offensive line as a specialty thing. But it, if I'm really interested in the stuff that makes the NFL important, uh, there's a couple of things that stick out to me. Number one, I th- it's really cool to me that the NFL and sports is becoming seemingly more and more important because it's a, it's a live event. It's something yeah. that happens in real time. And so as television and on demand and entertainment is not is less and less live football and sports and things that are happening spontaneously are so attractive and and it's a really incredible thing. Is that uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, spontaneity when you can't script something, uh, people enjoy that. That's why people enjoy reality television, even though that's probably all scripted. Uh, you know, that's I think right. that you you got you guys have noticed that uh, in in your podcast you do with Bad Christian, uh, you, you started going to the live route. Uh, mm-hmm. You you do it in front of crowds. Uh, people feel like they're a part of something when uh, they can watch it live, rather than when something's so scripted. It, it's almost like they feel like they're a part of it especially in sports when uh, the fan actually can impact a game especially mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a sport like football where the home team has a huge advantage because of the noise fans feel like they can be a part of it
0: mm-hmm. and, and i guess that's right i mean the, the fans actually i mean from your point of view that's that's real the the, the 12th man or whatever it is i mean the fans actually calls false start penalties but they more than that even psychologically it's you know the home team is typically a three point bump in the in the spread and to you that's palpable and noticeable as a player
1: Right. I don't think that's true in every sport by any means. I think there's plenty of sports that it doesn't matter whether you're at home or on the road. And uh, maybe if you play defense, it might not matter whether you're at home or on the road. Uh oh, that's not true. It probably does. Because, you know, when, when you watch Seattle's defense, they are so much better at home because they can time the snap count. They look at the center's head bob, mm-hmm. and they're able to get in a rhythm, and they use the crowd noise to their advantage. I happen to play a position uh, that – probably is affected the most of any position uh, in in all of sports. Uh, When you're playing on the road as an offensive tackle, that is one of the most challenging things. And, and, in my entire career that i can think of if i had to sp- pick one specific thing that was very challenging it was playing on the road hearing my quarterback even in the huddle uh, walking out of the huddle asking my asking my guard hey did i hear that play right and then you get to the line of scrimmage and you can't you can't hear anything so what happens is you no longer have a vocal snap count uh, the, the quarterback is no no longer saying red 80 red 80 said hut you go off of the center's head bob uh-huh. and so what you have to do is you can't now you can't even see your defensive end that you're about to block and you're watching the center's head bob as soon as he puts his head down he brings it up he pauses for about a second depending on what team it is you change up that rhythm so that uh opposing defenses can't just jump it all the time but you're watching his head bob and then you're taking a blind leap of faith that you're going to get off the count at the right at the right time, not get a false start you're trying to anticipate it because if you don't anticipate it the defensive ends are going to and that's Uh why seattle and teams that have such good support from their fans do so well at home
0: so it's it matters whether or not they're kind of loud or really loud even is a big difference
1: oh 100 yeah i mean uh, i've been on teams where the uh the the home crowd it was not advantageous at all Uh, i played for seattle and that to me they affected the game more than any crowd in the entire NFL. Denver fans are great. Uh, I love Denver fans, but I, they are not as loud as Seattle fans. And and 100%, uh, the, the fans affect everything.
0: That's intense. And especially from your position, being offensive line, that's got to be the most where it is affected. And it's something I always think, too, about offensive line is what. A bad position. It seems like your only job is to not screw up, and if and you're and all you can ever do is look bad. So I'm curious about the relationship of offensive line to quarterback, or offensive line to the coach and the rest of the team, or the fans. Is it the most underappreciated thing in football, position wise? Um.
1: Maybe outside of the team, that might be true. Uh, Fans don't know our names unless we're doing something bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, For all the good years I had, nobody knew my name as much as when I had one bad year out in Washington. When I had one bad year, it's because when I had a bad play, they were saying my name over and over and over. They're never saying your name when you're having good plays on on the offensive line. It's not like you're a running back that's in the end zone doing a dance after you just scored. They're saying your name because you gave up a sack. uh, You just caused a strip sack and now the game got changed. So that's how they know your name. But it is a very unique group And you will see uh, if if you ever had a chance to get to know an entire football team, which you won't, most people won't, but uh, you would find that offensive linemen, um, they're the tightest-knit group hands down on the team. Uh, They're they're best friends. They're loyal to each other. There's no backstabbing. uh, They're protective of one another. And and it's because, number one, we have to work as a unit. You succeed and fail as a unit. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's five guys that rely on the other four. So at, at every play you are truly relying on the other guy, but also it's, it, it's a little bit because, you know, we're used to not having the limelight. And ma- matter of fact, in Denver, the culture for offensive linemen was, uh, you were so used to not being in the limelight that if one of, uh, one of your teammates ever talked to the media, we would find one another because, uh, you know, it was out there self promoting. You're out uh-huh. there. Uh, talking to the media, trying to be a diva, uh, self-promoting yourself. So we we would find one another if you ever talked to the media, which is funny because now I'm done with my career. Eight years later, I'm in the media, and I spent the last eight years uh, playing, avoiding them, and being a jerk to them.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, is it? Uh, do you think the other players and the star players and the you know the whatever the really fun positions are? Do you think they're maybe poisoned a little bit by the limelight and the attention they get and their personal brands. Do you think that actually is, is harmful to them and the team?
1: You know, I I think it's human nature that when you get enough pats on the back, you start to feel pretty good. Uh, When you get enough women looking at you, it's hard to not look back Mm -hmm. Uh, when uh, you know, I, I think that that's human nature that, um, maybe that could poison you a little bit. Uh, You know, I will say from my experience, uh, offensive linemen, without a doubt, uh, they're the most loyal to their family. They have the least drama. Uh, They've got uh, probably the best surroundings of friends and people holding them accountable in life. And uh, you probably rarely see them mm-hmm. in in the media for something negative. Whereas other positions, uh, you see it a little bit more often and you know, I don't know if you can directly correlate it, but I know when I get enough pats on my back, I feel pretty good about myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let, let- no offense here, Tyler, but offensive linemen are like the least sexy. Are you going to say
1: we're fat and ugly? I was
0: gonna say you're <laughs> the three hundred pound fat white guys that don't really make as much money as the other people. Hey, I'm two sixty five so. <laughs> now,
1: buddy. I'm down forty five pounds since I since I stopped playing. I, so I
0: wanted that's what I wanted to ask you. I was gonna write. I wrote that down because you look so thin now compared to what I think an offensive lineman is. You're having to keep that weight on artificially in a way when you're in the league and like you're like it's easy to drop. It's not like Is it easy to drop that weight down and you didn't want to be that heavy or you just had to be or what?
1: Well, it goes one way or the other. Rarely do you see guys just stay at their playing weight. They either balloon up and just mm-hmm. become fat slobs or they get rid of it quickly. Uh, I, I always knew that it was going to melt off of me because I played most of my career around 300, uh, 305 pounds. Uh, the max, uh, the heaviest I ever got, I think was about 312 pounds. And that was always a challenge for me to keep weight on. What do
0: you have to do to keep that weight on? Are you counting calories and trying to get 5,000 no. a day or something well, like that? Well, or what? Yeah,
1: I, I I did have a calorie goal, but I wasn't uh, counting calories per se. I mean, I, I tried to eat between 6,500 and 7,000 7, okay. calories Man. a day just to keep my weight on. And no joke, I mean, if I skipped a meal, if I didn't have a, a peanut butter and jelly and a protein shake before bed, I was liable to lose two or three pounds in a day.
0: Oh, I can imagine. So, So, I mean, that sounds like a lot of calories. Now, part of it is to artificially keep that much weight on is A lot, and also you you are doing a lot of physical activity. So same as with Michael Phelps, I mean eating eight thousand calories, it's not as extreme as it sounds for a sedentary person. But you are like you're probably keeping on forty five extra pounds. So does it matter what you eat, or you don't? It doesn't even matter. It's if it's ice cream and peanut butter and jelly, or does it matter what you eat if you're if you're eating that many calories? Can you even discriminate what where they're coming from if you just eat sticks of butter? I mean what
1: you know honestly for me it did not matter what i ate uh, i i would meet with uh, our our dietitians our, our nutritionists um once or twice a year to come up with some sort of resemblance of a game plan but at the end of the day it was always just about getting calories in your body for some guys it mattered you know and, and not everybody has the the type of metabolism that i do where it melted off quickly so some guys had to be careful and obviously you want a lot of protein you you want a, a lot mm-hmm. of fat you don't want a ton of carbs uh, uh, simple stuff that, uh, you know, if you know anything about diet, that's basically what we're listening to. But for me, 100%, I could eat whatever I wanted.
0: <laughs> that's cool. But But it was almost you had to force yourself to do it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It became a job. And no, I'm, I'm sure everybody listening is like, oh, how could that be a job? You could go have four uh, Big Macs right now if you wanted to. It became a grind that I was always having to watch my meals and I'd panic uh, when I'd be on vacation or something in the off season. If I, <laughs> if, if, I couldn't, if I couldn't have my meals regulated, if I couldn't have enough calories, I'd be panicking because I knew I'd come back about five, six pounds underweight. And lo and behold, you can get fined for being underweight. Weight, not mm. just being overweight, you get fined for being underweight, and it and it ain't cheap. I mean, I'm talking about $500 per pound per day that you are not at your exact what? weight.
0: And that, who, give, who, yeah. based on what your contract says that, yeah, it's well, in it, your negotiated contract that you that you can have a $500 per pound. Well,
1: it's in the it's not in the players' contract; it's in the CBA, so the collective bargaining agreement that uh, the NFLPA agreed to with NFL. Uh, team. Teams can set your weight and then they can fine you $500 per pound per day that you are over or under it. Now, very rarely do teams uh, find somebody for being underweight. It's usually for being overweight. But in my case, I never actually did get fined. But uh, multiple times it was threatened. Hey, get your weight up or else we're going to fine you.
0: All right. So let's jump over there to CBA, collective bargaining agreement and the league and the commissioner and that kind of thing. People talk about it a lot, uh, and so I'm just asking you, you know, kind of directly, because this is not media, this is not football media, at least, or anything like that. I'm just kind of curious, how, how does that all play out? I can't get a really good, I understand that players don't love the league and the owners. It, that I, I feel that from everything I get, but it's not that explicit, um, and then even within the collective bargaining, which is basically, I guess, like a union for football players, so if you're a... Electrician has a union, and the CBA is the well. The NFLPA, NFL
1: NFLPA is our union. Uh-huh. The the CBA is the document that we okay. sign between the union and the owners.
0: And so, there's a couple of dynamics there that I think are there, and don't. I, I'm not a sports expert by any stretch, so correct me on anything I say wrong tonight. But on one hand, it's the players versus the owners and the commissioner and all that, and then on the other hand, it seems like there's a big disparity to the Low paid players and the high paid players, even within uh, the NFLPA. Can you help me understand how that works?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's a million different directions I could go off that question, but uh, I'll, I'll try to take it one piece at a time. And, uh, you know, the owners versus the players, what's that relationship like? Uh, that one's a unique one for me because I've got very conservative roots. I've got a very conservative background. And so, philosophically, when I'm looking at it big picture wise, um, if I were to remove myself from the situation, I'm looking at it like, hey, the owners own this team. Mm-hmm. They've got the right. To essentially do what they want to do it's their money uh, you know the players who are the employees of the owner the company uh, you know we shouldn't have the right to dictate uh, the rules how we should get paid uh, how many practices we're gonna have how many padded practices but then you become a part of it and, and all of a sudden you're looking after your own interest and the NFL, in so many ways, was such a, an eye-opening experience for me, uh, whether it's from political views to uh, the, just social understandings, uh, my, my big picture understanding of social injustices. For eight years in the NFL, I was the minority as a white guy. And without the NFL, I probably would have never understood so many things uh, socially that mm-hmm. today I feel like I do that I can be compassionate to because the way I grew up. Look, I grew up in a in, in a middle class, probably above middle class neighborhood that did not have uh, many challenges. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by people that are now my best friends. That are now people that uh, grew up in ways that I can't even imagine. And all of a sudden, I, I see things going on in politics, and all of a sudden, I can relate to it. Let's get, let's get specific about problem. that.
0: Give me an example of what you're talking about.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, I guess if you gave me examples, it'd be easy to do it. You know, I, I just know that, you know, one of my best friends in the NFL is a guy named Chris Chester. And he plays for the Atlanta Falcons right now. He's an offensive guard. Uh, you know, he's about as far left uh, the way he grew up as I was as far right growing up, if we're talking on the political spectrum. And every single day, we would have probably 30 minutes, an hour-long conversation about whatever issues are going on in the world uh, from sh- – should there be more uh, programs for uh, the people that are less well-off? Should there be – are there issues in welfare? And, and there are so many different ways that he changed my viewpoints mm-hmm. to understand uh, where he grew up. Not necessarily him, but the friends on our team, where they grew up. And now all of a sudden, when you're having conversations, nothing's black and white. And if I want to talk about the most recent one that has been very challenging on me, it's been the uh, the National Anthem deal. Okay. Because when uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, – sorry, I, I'm so far – I went down the route. No, road. you're okay. Just stay here. It's good. question, But uh, when Colin Kaepernick um, took a knee – I'll fully admit I was one of the first. I hopped on Twitter and, and, and I was blasting this guy. I was just like, dude, uh-huh. what are you doing? Like, I get it. Uh, social injustice is real. It is real. And and also activism changed this country for the better. But this is not the time or the place. You're kneeling during a time when you should be respecting the people that have given you the right to protest. Uh And I jumped on this thing like crazy. And and I was mad and I was ticked off. And I'm thinking about my brother-in-law who's a ranger and, and has been overseas multiple times fighting for our country. And so I, I go out there and and I publicly state my opinion that I, I basically would never be able to understand what Colin Kaepernick was doing. Then all of a sudden, the Broncos uh, two weeks later are playing and my teammate and my buddy, Brandon Marshall, uh-huh. a linebacker for the Denver Broncos, I'm watching TV and Brandon takes a knee and I'm like, Whoa like everything just changed. Everything just changed. Everything that I thought about Colin Kaepernick huh. immediately was challenged because I know Brandon Marshall. I don't know Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. I know Brandon Marshall. I know what this man stands for. I know uh, uh, what his roots are. I know that he's fighting for a real cause. I know that this man respects... You know nobody. his character.
0: So, I, so I've you ha- yeah, that, transitively, right. you have to understand. That's a really big deal. And I mean, I've experienced some of the same stuff And I think people discount that a lot. It's not like you have the ability as a human to have comprehensive views on every subject. You don't. You don't have the time in the day. You don't have the experience. You don't have the... There's no way you can understand every issue. And so, yes, you must take cues from those around you, those you respect, those you know their character. You can only say, if this guy that I know and respect and maybe even knows more about me on this issue is taking this position, that must color your point of view. I mean, that's just the only way that it can be.
1: 100 percent you know that's uh that's exactly what happened is that brandon took a knee and this is a man that i know i know him very well i know exactly what he stands for and now all of a sudden it wasn't black and white to me Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden i could see the issue that he was taking a knee for and i didn't only see what offended me i mean it offended me it still offends me that people take a knee during the national anthem but now all of a sudden i can actually see the roots of why they're Mm -hmm. doing it because somebody that i know and respect is doing it yeah and so that's just the type of example that I'm trying to explain that uh, there I was challenged in areas uh, by playing in the NFL uh, of understanding uh, people's cultural backgrounds and the differences that caused us that I would never be able to understand without the NFL.
0: I think it's the same way with being on tour and stuff like that. Like you know, I came from a small town in the rural South, and then a few years later, I'm on international tours with rock stars and people of different. So, very different, very different. So, drug use and different political points of views and completely different behaviors and personal ethics. And then I'm surrounded by these people, and I think these people are kick-ass. I think they're ethical. I think they're fun. I think they're funny. And on paper, if I'd have read who they are and what they were about and what they did any years previous I'd go well this is this is not okay these are the the bad people or the other or the dangerous and it's just not the case you know so I think pro- I, I'm not trying to draw too many parallels from being in music no, I, I totally think it but relates. I think there are some really good parallels from being in music and being forced into exposure of of around people that you wouldn't and in different ways and this shaped me profoundly you know and i think i think there's a right. lot there's a lot about that another one that sticks out to me in that same realm is uh is money like uh, the difference right. in, and and i still want to get through some of that about the collective bargaining everything but the disparity between uh blue collar working musician types almost seems to me like a parallel to the league minimum type Football players versus the superstars, and what people people think I'm famous and rich. It's insane. It's just the craziest thing in the world. And I've jumped topic a little bit there, but they do. They think I'm famous and rich, and I you wouldn't believe. I mean, you wouldn't believe how little money that that I make and how it works for people for for people like me. You wouldn't believe it. And I've heard people say that that are uh, you know. Professional athletes the same way, and yeah. I think people don't give you any credit for how hard it is financially to, to make it, even at league minimum. You know, which is R- right. A I, lot. I it's a lot more than musician league minimum. <laughs> tour I, minimum I, is a lot less than NFL league minimum. By the way,
1: <laughs> yeah, it turns out you don't get you don't just get three hundred thousand dollars just to uh, go on uh, 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 on some sort of tour. No, no. Look, I love this topic. I really do because uh, it's one that again now I can understand it because I've been through it mm-hmm. and. And you you know the stats of of players coming out of the NFL are scary bad. Yeah, they're uh, really bad. They're it, it I I don't quote me on this. This isn't exact, but uh, it's pretty dang close. I think it's like 88% of players that come out of the NFL within three years of being done playing are divorced and bankrupt. So somewhere around 88% of the guys are divorced and bankrupt after making in their first year, league minimum, $300,000 in their first year. Mm -hmm. Now, most people, when they look at that and they hear that, I mean, there's absolutely no way you can have sympathy for somebody
0: that could blow through that that's, kind of money. That's the typical sentiment that people have,
1: right? Right, and, and and put me in that category. Look, when I was in college, I was like, man, if I could just get two years in of league minimum, I mean, I'll, I'll be set. I can basically just find a job and, and do something that I love. Well, now all of a sudden, you get in the game. And okay, let, let's just do the basic math here first. And, and this isn't even the fun stuff, the stuff I want to talk about, but you know, okay, so you've got the agent. Uh, who all of a sudden you're writing him a twenty thousand dollar check at the end of the year after you've made three hundred thousand uh, dollars, you got Uncle Sam. So now three hundred thousand is cut into one hundred and fifty, and then you pay your agent. So now you're down to one thirty. Uh, then you buy your first car. You've well, never, okay,
0: I'm sorry, I'm not trying to jump ahead of you, but didn't you also have to maybe like move to Oakland or something yeah, in the process? Yeah. You know? <laughs>
1: yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Is uh, you know, there's so many expenses that will add up, especially in your first year uh-huh. e- later on it's easier to save money but in year one you know you, you buy a car you've never owned a car uh, if, if you make enough money in year one to buy a house you buy a house most guys can't buy a house after year one
0: and a lot of these people for sure and reasonably so have always thought the second i make the nfl i am buy my mama a house too
1: exactly right and i mean I, that's
0: not even that's not even being flagrant or anything that's like well surely i can help my poor parents out would have to be one of your first thoughts, you know?
1: Exactly. And that was exactly the point that I wanted to get to is that's the stuff that gets me passionate to talk about this is because I honestly believe that 90% of the guys that go broke or go bankrupt, they go broke off good intentions.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, not all strip clubs and champagne. Yeah. It's,
1: it, they're not out there buying Lamborghinis. They're yeah. not out there buying three homes. They've got a mom that can't pay they can't pay her rent. So they, they help her pay her rent. Then, then all of a sudden their sister calls and says, hey, I can't pay, I can't make my car payment. Can you help me make my car payment? And what happens is most guys uh, – and, and again, this goes back to the background that I grew up in versus what other guys have grown up in. Most guys are going to have on average probably four to five legitimate – and I call them leeches. That's a bad word probably because most of them probably aren't intentionally trying to leech off of them. Yep. But they've got four to five leeches in their life that – think that their money is is limitless. And so all of a sudden you give your mom $2000 a month. Then all of a sudden you're giving your sister $2000 a month. And then maybe, you know, maybe you get married and uh, your your wife's mom uh, has uh, some medical procedure that you got to pay $5000 for. And you've got all these leeches in your life that you don't know how to say no to, and you're saying yes because you love them, and you're saying right. yes because you think, well, I'll make up more money in my second contract. I've got it right now. Uh-huh. They don't have anything. Who am I to protect my money right now?
0: And so but, optimistically, you're going to think, I'm going to get the big contract. I'm going to succeed, but another statistic, I don't know it exactly, but the average career is not as long as three th- you would think. Is it three years? Yeah. yeah. So it's easy to think, you know, I'll do better here, but you can get cut. The crazy thing about NFL is that you can get cut any week and your pay stops whenever they feel like it, right? Is that the way it goes?
1: Yeah. You know, that's also one of the biggest differences between the NFL and every other uh, professional sport is that I'm pretty sure we're the only sport. Uh, without guaranteed contracts. Uh, NBA, if you blow out your knee on day two after signing a $50 million deal, you see all $50 million. Uh, Hockey, baseball, it's all the same. NFL, the only money that is guaranteed is your signing bonus. Uh So when you see guys that sign these $20 million deals, don't look at it as a $20 million deal. Look at it as how much did they get guaranteed? What was their signing bonus? Uh-huh. So if they got $2 million guaranteed for their signing bonus, that's how much money they got. Then after year one, what happens is the first two years, the, your salary will usually be low and your bonus will be high. And then in years three and four, your salary is high and you have no bonus. So what happens is after teams have paid you their your bonus, you get to the high-salary guys. And then it's always the running joke that you get punished for yeah. being good in the NFL because now all of a sudden you're making too much money. You're on the teams chopping will, block then. Teams will cut yeah. you or they trade you. I mean, they'll cut so, you
0: week 11 just because the guy behind you is uh, almost as good or just as good or something, but it's cheaper or something like that. It, yeah, and there's exactly. nothing you can do about it. They send you home. It's not not their problem anymore.
1: Nothing you can do. Yeah. Look, I, I've, I've been I've been cut. I, I've been cut. Um, three times over my eight years, I got cut, uh, once I was traded and I've got no say over anything that I'm doing in my life. I I get cut by Denver and I get claimed by Houston, Seattle, and Detroit. And I go into my coach's office, my offensive line coach's office. And he says, Hey, Tyler, uh, tell your agent that both Seattle and Detroit, excuse me, Seattle and Houston tried to trade for you in the last month. And in my head, I'm thinking, BS, if they tried to trade for me, why aren't you trading me? Why would you just cut me? Well, sure enough, they both claim me. And then I have to go to Detroit. I've got no choice of those three teams that claim me. You you don't get to choose what team you go to. You go to the team with the worst record. So Detroit had the worst record of the three teams that claimed me. So I had to go to Detroit. And then I'm there for six days. Your,
0: move your family there. Or think, family. Yeah, all my that. My
1: wife came with me. I didn't quite uh-huh. move there yet. But my wife came with me. We're living in a hotel. And we're looking for places to live because you
0: don't know if you're going to stay there it's going to work out or not so it's not like what are you going to do sell your house and move to Detroit and for two weeks you, you don't know
1: Right, exactly. And then I'm, I'm there in Detroit and we're miserable and uh, I'm out to eat with my wife and I look down at my phone and I've got about six missed calls and my agent texts me in all caps and he says, call me, you've been traded. I don't even know Dang. where I've been traded to. I reach over to the table and I gave my wife a high five and I'm like, traded, we're out of here. <laughs> <It> turns out <laughs> I, got, I, I got traded to Seattle, which was amazing uh, in a million different realms. Uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But uh, you know, that's the type of thing that happens You've got, they can get rid of you at any moment. They stop paying you. So you only got paid what you've been paid to that point. They get rid of you. And then you've got no choice of where you go.
0: That's insane. I mean, that really is. I mean, it's so far off from what they think of it, what people think of as the dream. And these, you know, I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase, those athletes or these million, you know, these people making all that money. People almost hold it up and herald it as this thing like, we live in this country with all this bad stuff, and yet there's these athletes that make all this money. But you know, the money is is uh. This is a weird parallel, but I was hearing some TV. Somebody on TV, uh, it was Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, talking about how they were negotiating a million dollars an episode on Seinfeld, and he was saying, right. "Yeah, I was trying to get a million dollars an episode because Seinfeld was generating a billion dollars." The mo- right. that I know I know firemen should earn more than me as an actor I understand that but that money is being generated by the show and if I don't try to get mine who's supposed to get it where's it supposed to go there's somebody else that would get that money so the same thing would yeah. would be in the NFL or music industry or whatever how does that color like you know how do you see the owners and those people in this circling back to collective bargaining and the NFLPA. Yeah owners and that side of it versus the unbelievably paid top tier athletes who deserves who deserves the money here how should how you know, you, if you could redesign it how would you do this equitably
1: you know that that's a great question I, I don't have the exact answer to it i'm not smart enough to figure that out but i will tell you that
0: who is uh, over was, who has too much money that they should not have well, who is underpaid that, and who's that, overpaid is what I want to know.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know about specific questions, but I will tell you that the that sentiment. I've had that question. Matter of fact, when I was playing in Seattle, I remember sit, standing in front of the locker room, and I was talking with Charlie Whitehurst, backup quarterback from Clemson. From, yeah, from Clemson. Yeah, that's your guy. Yeah, who beat me in a bowl game? By the way, I was playing for CU. He beat me in. Uh, I remember that. Champ Sports Bowl. I remember in, that bowl out in Orlando. Yeah. yeah. But I'm talking to Charlie, and, and I was looking at these outrageous contracts that guys were signing. And I was like, dude, honestly, this is ridiculous. Like, guys are getting $30 million to play football. And 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 my brother-in-law had been fresh on my mind the second time I brought him up tonight. But he had freshly been deployed. And I'm thinking about how little he's making over there in, in Afghanistan. And, and I'm thinking, this is outrageous. Like, guys are making $20, 30000000 million. This doesn't seem right. And honestly, he had the most basic, simple answer that has stuck with me ever since. And it's what I say to everybody ever since that conversation was all he said was, dude, Tyler, honestly, it's simple economics, supply and demand. They find someone that's better than you and they'll pay him more, but there's nobody better than you. So you're going to make the most in the world. So, you know, my position uh, playing right tackle in the NFL when I was starting, there were 32 people in the entire world that had my job. Uh I was one of the top 32 people in the entire world. So, yeah, you'd get compensated like one of the top 32 in the world. But there is a huge disparity between the guys that are making a ridiculous amount of money and the guys that are making league minimum, which is obviously – Way too good. I mean, phenomenal living. You know, a lot of this podcast has sounded like "woe is me." It's not.
0: No, no, it's not that. But it's just, it's just so weird with human nature. Because you go, like Peyton Manning shouldn't make less money, but I mean, he could just go make the money from Papa John. So couldn't he just let you make it? Like I I know, you (laughs) know, right? I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know how to sort that out. But It,
1: it does. Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say it it does become complicated, though, when you're making Uh $300,000. And your buddy uh, right across the hall uh, is making $10 million.
0: And that's who you have to hang out and socialize with and go out to eat with, right? Right. And and
1: then what happens is it becomes the top two or three uh, money makers of your position. Uh, You go out to eat with them a lot. And then all of a sudden, the top two, two or three guys, they dictate what you're ordering. And they dictate <laughs> the wine that you buy. They dictate the whiskey. All of a sudden, King Louis is getting bought, and you're paying $150 for a shot. And and then all of a sudden, what happens is you get to the end of the meal, and they say, all right, let's play credit card roulette. And, wow. And, and so, oh, my so gosh. Everybody, everybody throws their credit card in there, and the guys that are making the most money are the guys spending the most money, but then they don't end up even paying, for the, paying the bill because you play this credit card roulette, and some... Practice squatter who's making ninety thousand oh, no. dollars great money in the real world, but some guy who's making ninety thousand dollars all of a sudden he puts his credit card in there and he gets stuck with a six thousand dollar bill. Is that what yeah. it is?
0: Six thousand for dinner? Huh? Well,
1: yeah, I mean that, that's not unheard of. That's certainly not unheard oh. of. I've seen that happen many a time. Do seen,
0: the quarterbacks stuff. appreciate the offensive line and take care of them? Yes or no? Uh,
1: almost all of them. Almost all. Of them. Okay,
0: yeah. so yeah. You, there's no love lost. When, I mean, you literally taking care of Peyton Manning last year does your job, right? Yeah. And, and and even even him specifically, he took care of you guys. There's no animosity there with how much he makes and for what you that's.
1: oh gosh, no. Yeah, no. That I mean, the good ones, the the smart quarterbacks, they let it be known that they love their offensive linemen. And how do they let that be known? Well, they buy them stuff. That's how you uh-huh. make them they make it be known, you know? So you take them out to eat. Peyton Manning would take us out to eat once a week and, and he would always buy the bill. Matter of fact, he would take the entire offense out. Uh-huh. So he would, he would take out 20 guys for one meal at Del Frisco's, nicest steakhouse in Denver, and he would pick up the tab for the entire offense. And he would do that once a week, and then Christmas comes around, and he starts showering us with gifts. Uh, That's amazing. Um, I've been with one guy, and I know you're going to ask me to name names. I, I won't. Know. If you don't want to, but, I won't. Yeah, uh, I've been with one guy that, no joke, went out to eat with the offensive line two or three
0: times over the course of the whole season. Uh, forgot his wallet on two- <laughs> 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 and, and, was that consistent with that quarterback's character in your opinion though uh, maybe yeah maybe. it it wasn't just a freak accident <laughs> it, it, He no, was yeah, it,
1: yeah. <laughs> let, let's just say nobody believed that he forgot his wallet okay
0: wow that's crazy what do, do you think that is related to his uh i mean do you think that kind of character carries over with locker room and leadership and stuff like that as far as You know, like that's probably didn't really benefit him in the long run. He probably didn't have the character of a good leader and didn't take care of you guys. I mean, it could have gone better for him if he wasn't that way. Is that part of it?
1: I, I, I do think that that's, that's accurate. You know, I, I was listening to uh, Dave Ramsey, who was a guest speaker at my church the other day. And, uh, you know, I've never followed his programs. Uh, I've always known uh, basic information about it. But I was listening to him, him speak, and he's far from a prosperity guy. But what he kept saying over and over, and he kept emphasizing, don't hear this the wrong way. I'm not a prosperity guy. But I do think that generous people are fun to be around. Generous yes. people genuinely attract other people to them and they usually are successful just because of a persona that they bring put off. People want to be around them and they usually have success basically just if nothing else based off of mindset. Nothing's going to be given to them because they gave the valet guy 20 bucks instead of three bucks. like you know, nobody believes God's going to give him more money because he gave him 20 bucks. But in general, people that are kind, people that are generous Good things usually seem to yeah. happen around him. And that's kind of the same thing with a quarterback. You know, a, a quarterback that takes care of his guys, his offensive linemen are going to go to bat for him. A quarterback that doesn't take care of his guys, his offensive linemen, you know, they might not help him up when he's off the ground. When he's Be- on the ground.
0: Best quarterback uh, human being that you've uh, played with is who? best quarterback I,
1: n- n- I don't even have to hesitate to answer this Matt Hasselbeck's one of the mm-hmm. uh, most rare and special human beings I've ever been around in my life uh, you know he is truly the most selfless human being I've ever met he is a leader by every definition of the word uh, you know financially did he give me the most gifts Nope. matter of fact he might have given him one of the worst gifts uh, <laughs> but uh, you know it wasn't something that you walk home and, and and you're excited about it and and you're gonna be playing your Xbox. Ex- or, or doing something cool with a gift he gave you, but he was the most genuine human being I've ever been around. That would would go pick you up at the airport at three in the morning if you asked him to, and and you would go to bat for that man. I would fly anywhere, any moment of any day if you ever asked me to, because I know that that's exactly what he would do. Mm-hmm. That has back, no doubt, one of the most special human beings I've ever been around.
0: When you get beat and the guy knocks your quarterback flat, what? You know, on those moments where he's laying on the ground on his back, does not him specifically, but what's what does that feel like? Does he look up at you? Does he say anything? What what's the what's the feeling there at that moment? <laughs> Damn, am I gonna be moving tomorrow? It, is it funny? <laughs> I mean, is there is it is it super serious? Like uh, like oh, yeah, I'm trying no, to get a grip on. Is it like well, this is oh, just work up. <laughs> I no, screwed up no, no. this time or is it like he's genuinely mad at you? Like what what is that exchange? Oh,
1: you mean between the QB and, and the QB the and
0: you that got beat and he got he's oh, no, no, he's no, no, laid no. out on his back. He's on his back right now because you didn't do your job and somebody came through and leveled him. He's in okay. physical pain. It hurts okay. your team. What is that what is that moment? Is it see, no, is oh, it
1: Oh no, I, I very rarely once or twice over the course of my career have I ever seen a quarterback uh, respond inappropriately to that moment. Uh, but 90% of the time he pops up, gives you a pat on the back and says, let's go. Okay. You know, it, it, it's very rarely. Do you see the quarterback, uh, act inappropriately? I can think of one moment that I saw on TV that I, I think about to this day, what would I have done if I was this guy? Jay Cutler, uh, was quarterback for Chicago bears uh-huh. and a guy named Jamarcus Webb, who actually plays for Seattle. Now, um, he was the tackle for the Chicago bears and was having a horrible night. It was uh-huh. having a horrible year, but uh that night in particular was not good. Uh he got beat like three or four times, might have given up two or three sacks. And I remember watching Jay Cutler, they they zoomed in on him as they're walking off the sideline. Jay Cutler literally rips off his helmet. DeMarcus Webb has his helmet off. Jay like points him in, points his finger on his forehead, practically touches him on the forehead and starts dog-cussing him on national TV. And I'm just thinking, dude, If I was Jamarcus Webb, I mean, I I can't tell you how I would respond because I wasn't in that moment. But I'm fairly confident I would have swatted that hand out of my face and given him a mouthful. Uh You know, like I'm the dude putting my life on the line while you're getting all the credit. Uh, You know, have some respect right now. Mm -hmm. Though, but those type of things, I've only seen that happen two or three times, and I played a long time. But
0: it's serious business. I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure you feel. Do you do you you at least feel really bad when it's you you got beat twice or three times or whatever? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, your personal emotions. Uh-huh. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, man, I mean that is the worst feeling in the world. I was joking the first time I responded when I said, damn, am I going to be looking for a new, uh, a new job? Am I going to be moving cities? I mean, that's literally what goes through your head. You have, yeah. you have one or two bad games and you're thinking, well, I know the dude behind me is pretty good. I'm probably not going to be playing next week. Matter of fact, I might be moving to a new city. Uh, those mm-hmm. are the type of things that literally will happen. And as a young player, I was the worst. Uh, it, it probably why it took me three or four years to really become good in NFL because when I was a young player, when something bad happened, I didn't have the ability to flush it. I, uh-huh. I mean, it was, it would, if something bad happened, I was that guy that spiraled, you know, it was like one bad play. And then I had three more bad plays after it. I didn't know how to flush it because I was so panicked and I was so nervous at every moment that, uh, I wasn't good enough or was I going to be looking for a new job? You know, it, it takes, uh, maturity and it takes confidence to be able to flush a sack yeah uh, not stress about it but yeah especially as a young player man i mean that was like the weight of the world on my shoulders i couldn't get over it for a week most of the time
0: Mm -hmm. all right give me the straight dope pardon the pun, on steroids and performance enhancing drugs. You're not in the league anymore you say, whatever you want to, tell me something interesting about that. Are they there? Every time I hear an athlete talk about it, they go, hey, I never saw it, I never did it, but I heard all these rumors, but if everybody says that, it doesn't sound true to me. Tell me something real about performance-enhancing drugs that you've seen. <laughs> tell me, tell some me something. Real, like, tell, it's tell not me. that you've never heard of it or seen it. I know that can't be true, and you can phrase it any way you want to, but tell me something that sounds true to my ears about what's the reality of performance-enhancing drugs.
1: Okay, the reality is uh, I'm not guarded anymore. This isn't uh-huh. uh, not protecting anybody. The reality is I know for a fact uh, of zero people that have taken steroids. That means, like, do I know for a fact that they took it? No, I don't know for a fact that anybody's taking steroids. Uh Have I had a very strong suspicion on every team I've been on of at least two to three guys? Yep, yep. There's been two to three guys on almost almost every team I've been on that I'm looking at, and I'm like, dude— you just bench press six hundred pounds, like I can't even squat six hundred pounds, and you're like thirty five years old. Like I'm doing the math there. Uh, I'm looking at James Harrison of the Steelers, and he's like forty years old, and his biceps are as big as my thighs. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just me being a hater, but I look at it and I'm like, dude, like, how could that
0: possibly be? And and, and so so it really is hush hush. I mean, if it yeah. is happening, it, uh, um, if it is happening. It's super individualized and private. It's not like you guys all know about it and we don't. That's not no, the case.
1: It, it definitely is not a culturally acceptable thing to speak about it. It's not like baseball uh, in the 90s or maybe even early 2000s uh, it, where it was uh, you know, so common that it's sitting in guys' lockers. Um, no, it's nothing like that. Uh, I've, I've got – two to three guys on almost every team that I think have done it, mm-hmm. but no, I've so, never even heard of So you would be
0: there. confident to say that people are doing it and they're figuring out how to get around or whatever, but it's so, yeah. it, it's so hush-hush culturally that even you being in the locker room are not able to at, truly discern who is, but you are pretty sure they are. Somebody is, well, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm fairly certain of that because we're human beings, and uh, if there's a way to gain an edge, we usually look for a way to gain an edge, you know, uh-huh. so... Uh, do I think that uh, all NFL players are angels that wouldn't ever cheat? No, of course not. I'm I, I would be more confident in saying it's a fact that people do take steroids than saying it's a fact that nobody does. Uh-huh. Uh, I just all that I can say is that it wasn't like a culturally acceptable conversation, cool. and I don't know of anybody.
0: Okay, that's that's colorfully helpful to me just to even get a grip on it because I I don't like the you know in general when I hear sports media is super dodged and everybody acts more ignorant than I think they really are. But that's a good that's a good enough answer that I can accept on that. How about concussions? What's your thought on that? Will you will you let your kids play football?
1: Uh, I think it's going to be unavoidable. You know, I, I I'm sitting in my office right now and I just showed everybody all these trophies mm-hmm. and and footballs and you know up top there i don't know if you can see them but those are all my helmets from uh-huh. uh, all the teams i played on and uh if you go down to my basement uh, i always have this conversation with my wife all the time because if you go down to my basement it's like a shrine to myself and i kind of hate that but uh, my wife is like no are you kidding me we're not of course we're going to frame your jerseys of course we're going to put it up like uh, of course we're going to have the paintings up uh and and part of me hates it but of course part of me loves it also because that's what i did my whole sure. life My son's going to grow up seeing that and he's going to grow up in a home that has footballs everywhere with daddy's name all over it. And of course I think it's going to be unavoidable for my son to want to play football and I will let him play football. I won't let him play football until he is personally ready to. And I think that that is an answer that is not, um, it's not a universal answer for every kid. I think it's highly individual uh, that kids mature at a different rate and Mm -hmm. i think football might be one of the worst sports you could ever put a kid in at a young age especially if they are not uh an athlete in other sports because you can so quickly uh demoralize a kid and make him lose his confidence that i won't let my kid play probably at a minimum until middle school and and maybe even later than that
0: okay are you uh i don't know if you've had concussions or not but the interesting thing about concussions or brain injury is the we really it's the science is not good we don't know like uh it's just very low there's not a lot of the data is not as good as you would want it to be and some of the stuff seems to be just being jarred around and not having concussions can really affect your brain so not even having a concussion but banging into the defensive line every play um have you got any symptoms are you worried about your brain health for the rest of your life
1: Yes. Yes and yes. Um, unfortunately, I've had two diagnosed concussions, one really bad one that I had um, I had lasting effects of for probably six to eight months. I had horrible, horrible headaches. And to this day, uh, my head operates different, my brain operates differently uh-huh. than it did before that. Uh, I feel like I still battle, uh, headaches from that one concussion because beforehand I never had headaches yeah. and now I do. And I don't know any other way to explain that, uh, other than the concussion happened and now I get headaches. Uh, I also know that it is a, probably the most difficult conversation you could ever have with a football player and how to change the culture. Mm. Uh, it is, uh, you will never be able to understand a football player's mindset of why they don't report concussions unless you play football. And unless you're worried about keeping your job, uh, you know, because we have no money guaranteed. Uh, if I report my concussion, now, nowadays, if you even report a concussion that you think you might have a concussion, you're going to get pulled out of that game. You'll probably miss the next yep. week. And what happens is your backup comes in, who's usually younger, who's usually cheaper, and is usually probably better, but just doesn't have the experience. And so the only reason why you're playing is because you have experience over him.
0: Uh-huh. And then
1: younger guy gets in, he takes your job, he plays well, and you never get back.
0: And now I'll send of a you home uh, two weeks later just because you self-reported.
1: Exactly. So there is, I don't know what the answer is here, man. And, and I have, I have multiple times I've played through games where I had a concussion and I never reported it oh, that's and, terrible. I'm not prou- and I'm not yeah. proud of it, but I've done it and, and it will forever be that way yeah. until the only thing that could possibly change that is if money got guaranteed. And then guys aren't afraid of losing their job because at least then they get the money that they already signed. Yeah. That, 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 I think that might be the only thing that could change it.
0: That's terrifying to think through. I heard something that I thought was just crazy. And I mean, I don't know if football is our just, it's, it's violent. It really is a violent thing. And I love it. And America clearly loves it. Um, And that's not going to change. You're sick. You got problems. No, well, I mean, Will Smith Smith did the concussion movie, and somebody told me, or I heard it on a show somewhere, that he said, and this just shows how maybe goofy he is now, uh, he said that he was shocked that after that movie came out that people are still watching the NFL. And I just thought... What are you crazy? Nobody gives a shit about that movie. The NFL is—that's uh, not <laughs> you don't uh, care about right, me. <laughs> right. And so I don't need. I mean, I don't know who or how that can change because I, I don't. I can say I care or I worry about you, but I, my gosh, I mean, that would never stop me from tuning in on Sunday or Saturday with college. I love college football, and I, lo- I mean, it's. I don't. I don't know where it goes from here, but that—that's a really interesting. And complicated question. I don't know if players are taken care of and I don't know if there's something we should do. I don't know if I should not let my kids play. I don't know if it would be better to the moral thing to do would be not support the league. I mean, it doesn't even seem like that's your point of view, but it's an interesting question, but I don't see it changing either
1: no, and and, you know the worst part about it is because there are so many unknowns and because there are so many movies like Concussion coming out nowadays and and your knowledge is starting to grow of the dangers of concussions, now there's so much fear associated with it. And I've got all these moments where I lost my keys, and I'm like, all right, well, that's probably normal. Every person in the entire world loses their keys. Mm-hmm. But I lost them three times in one day. Is that normal? You know, and yeah. so you start you start questioning and you're like, well, is that from the the brain injury? I don't know. Like, I can't prove it, but it's always in the back of your back of your head now. When I just spent the last 16 years of my life running into brick wall 50 times a day, that's always going to be in the back of my brain. Yeah. Whenever I see something start to slip, right or wrong, I'm going to question: mm-hmm. Is that
0: from head trauma? For sure. That's intense, man. It's an interesting thing, and I I really appreciate your insight on what it's like to be a player here. I, I think this has been a pretty interesting conversation and I think you do a really good job with this and I definitely want to tell people about your podcast. Um, you hit me up a little while ago. This is the, the most common thing I do. I probably spend a good quarter of my week talking to people. I seem to have become the guy. If you want to start a podcast, you you call me and talk to me, but I've enjoyed helping you uh, get going on your podcast and it's out now and it's called NFL Journeyman. Yeah. So, so are you enjoying doing that so far? Is it going well for you?
1: You know, it's been a lot of fun. I'm doing it with a former teammate of the Washington Redskins. We both played for the Redskins. We both played for the Broncos. Uh, His name's Will Montgomery. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, of course, we talk a lot about the Redskins. We talk a lot about the Broncos. But really, it's a lot less of a uh, hot topic type show Uh as it is more of just a behind the scenes stories and laughs and uh, humor, you know, Uh, basically we're, we're. our goal is to bring the locker room yes. into, your, into your living room, and we try to talk like we do in the locker room. We try to make fun of each other like we do in the locker room, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of laughter. It's been great. Uh, it's challenging at times because you're, you're wondering, okay, is this thing ever going to take off? Is it ever going to be worth my while? But uh, it's fun because – uh, we're both doing it more as a way to document uh, yes. our careers and enjoy our careers uh, more than it is if we ever make a dollar off this thing, great. And then that's, that's great. We're not doing it for that. We're doing it to have fun, uh, continue our locker room experience when we no longer have that and we don't get that anywhere now. But Will and I... That's the way we talk. Yep. The way we talk on that show is the way we talk in real life and it's the only place I get mm-hmm. that now. So, well, it's fun. well,
0: hang on with it and stay, stick to it because I think people are enjoying that more and more. This conversation, I think, is, is more informative than an hour of regular old talk radio or something. I think that kind of stuff is very, very interesting, and people really like it, and I really like what you're doing. Um, I really like the Rex Grossman episode. I thought that was, I thought he, was funny, I thought Sexy it? Rex, he was great on there. Um, <laughs> I thought that was awesome, and what you guys are doing is really good, and I think that's what people want. It's harder to get people to understand it and find it and know about it because there's so much out there in podcasting, but I would recommend anybody check out your podcast if you want to hear. I mean, similar to what I do, we do here, or what we do on Bad Christian is real people talking about what it's really like doing what they do, and what you get out of it and you enjoying doing your podcast is a big deal, and that's great for you regardless of how big it gets. But you're also doing broadcasting and local radio there in Denver, and uh, if we had longer or another episode to do here, I'd want to talk about broadcasting, but it's a little secret of mine that anytime I can get somebody on the podcast that does podcasting or broadcasting, it makes this hour go by so much faster and easier and better you've been a a really really good guest so um are you trying to do broadcasting and podcasting for your career i mean you've got a long way to go
1: yeah. You know, it's, it's been fun. I, I, am active every day in Denver on one Oh four three, the fan. Uh, I'm an active part of that station and, uh, I'm, I'm doing the most fun thing I'm doing right now is I get to do the sideline for the Colorado Buffaloes. So the school I played for awesome. Uh, I'm a part of that game day broadcast and, uh, that's probably the most fun thing I do. And and I'm going to look to expand that brand for myself of becoming some sort of broadcaster or commentator. And, uh, I'm enjoying that and I'm,
0: I'm going to look to try to uh, challenge myself and continue to grow in that uh, avenue. Absolutely. Well, you're good at it, and I enjoy talking to you, and I'm glad I'm friends with you. Last question, and we're out of here. You don't get to explain it. <laughs> Do college athletes need to be paid, yes or no? Yes. Okay.
1: Do I get to explain it? Nope, you don't get to explain it because we're out of time. <laughs> right. We'll do it another well, yes, time. They, yes, they need to get paid.
0: I'll take your authority. I, as I said before, you have to trust the people that know more than you and have the experience and you know their character. So I'm going to go with your answer on that. I always wonder, is that right? Is it wrong? What part of it am I hearing? You know how it works. You know what's going on. I asked you, should college athletes get paid? You say yes. I'm going to go with that. You can explain it to me off air more in detail why, but I'm going to go with your answer on that. Thank you for it. Tyler, enjoy the podcast tonight. Take it easy. Everybody check out Tyler's stuff, NFL Journeyman Podcast on iTunes. See y'all later. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. That's what